0: Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. After spending my entire career in the sports sales industry, I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business or for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. This podcast is presented by General Sports Worldwide and The Clubhouse. GSW is certainly picking up steam in search, recruiting, training, and consulting. Three pieces of advice, all under 24 minutes. Now on to our guests this week. Experience in this business setting of sports is crucial no matter what role you have or what role you want in the future. Our next guest spent the majority of his career grinding in the minor leagues before joining the NFL. I'm excited to have Adam Noosh, Senior Vice President of Business Operations with the Tennessee Titans and Nissan Stadium. Adam, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks so much. You know, uh, my wife has a podcast, so I get to see the back of house on some of the podcasts so i can appreciate what you do and i've also gotten into running lately so your podcasts have helped me uh, on my run get me distracted a little bit think about work and uh, so i appreciate your podcast and what you do no i appreciate that and you know i think it goes without
0: saying that you know i think this is a perfect platform maybe to give your your wife's podcast an elevator pitch so
1: we'll kick it off that way oh well she would appreciate that it's uh called Destined for Greatness, and it's, it's really modeled very similar to yours. She just goes out and finds people doing great things in the world and, and interviews them and, and a wide range of people. I think it's a great podcast, just like yours.
0: Uh, well, I appreciate the support, and as I'm sure your wife does as well. And so, Adam, very excited to have you and really dive into your illustrious career. And you, know, you grew up in Texas. You spent the majority of your career in minor league baseball, which we'll dive into. Was it just always a dream for you to work in sports?
1: You know, it has been. I think I was pretty blessed in high school, and my father was a city manager for the city of Round Rock, and I think at one point, right around 16 years old, I think he started getting worried that I wasn't going to care about school, wasn't going to take school serious, and so he started waking me up at 2 in the morning, and I would go watch guys fixing sewer lines at 2 in the morning, digging ditches, and he would show me, hey, this is a career, and uh if you don't take your education serious like this is what life looks like and uh and those guys are some of the hardest workers out there but oh, yeah. um, it really inspired me to kind of take school a little more serious and a couple of years later he was uh, negotiating for the city of round rock to get the round rock express minor league baseball team so yep. he's working with nolan ryan and his family uh, to make that happen and one day he said hey you want to grab lunch? And, uh, and so he took me out of school, grabbed lunch with, uh, Reed Ryan, Jay Miller, who was the general manager at the time. And it's like, this is another career that that's pretty cool. And, uh, being a baseball player, being a football player, I was, this is much better than digging sewer ditches and yeah. sewer lines. So, uh, very lucky that I found a job that I could be passionate about and love uh, much more than digging sewer lines. Yeah. And, uh, and, Ever since then, I've pr- pretty much never wavered. I've, I've kind of gone a little bit back and forth in the sports industry. Yep. I read a pretty cool story about Mitch Barnhart, who's the University of Kentucky athletic director. And he's he talked a lot about um, bringing these student athletes in, showing them what family looks like, showing them how husband and wife interact. And some of that stuff started making me think going that college route would be pretty fun to, to do something bigger than sports, something bigger than a job get back yeah. and get back to the next generation. No, absolutely. And we
0: kicked off the podcast, you know, talking about you know, your grinding, your career. And it sounds like your grinding started when you were just a kid. And, you know, so now those, those long hours of getting home at 2 a.m. And, and being back at the office at 5 a.m. don't seem as, as difficult because you've been doing it for so long. And, you know, so, Adam, attending the University of Oklahoma, you held two different internships, one with the Round Rock Express and then the Oklahoma City Redhawks. What is your advice to young listeners on really just how to make the most out of that internship experience?
1: Yeah. So, um, if I think back at those internship years, I was, if I'm honest with you, I was a terrible intern. (laughs) I I think I was 18 or 19 years old. So, you kind of get what you expect there. But uh, with the Round Rock Express specifically, is the first year of the Express, they didn't have much of an internship program. Honestly, I probably got that job because my dad was city manager and they're like, oh, we'll just plug them in, pay him $5 an hour. And right. And so they was not super organized. Uh, they ended up putting me in the parking lot for a lot of it to try to, but it was a great experience. I managed all the parking lot. I had to manage people. I had to I'd give them a cash at the beginning, check their cash at the end. Uh, yeah. So I got, kind of got a little bit of that interaction. And then it's interesting 22 years later, 23 years later, I'm, uh, we're in the process of trying to build a $2.2 <laughs> billion stadium. Right. But number one thing we're trying to solve is parking. Is rental parking. Ingress, perfect. egress, all of those things. But, um, but as far as advice, um, I think back at some of those internship days, cold calling, as you know, yeah. it's uncomfortable. And uh, nobody trained me. They kind of just gave me a phone and said, call these people. And I'd sit there and listen to some of the better sales reps and I'd make call notes and a script for myself. And I was terrible at it. I couldn't waver. If somebody asked me a question that wasn't on the script, I I panicked. I did terrible at it. And it's funny, looking back, I ended up making a career off cold calling and selling and uh, ended up getting comfortable with it and loving it. But uh, the piece of advice I would probably give is from Dabo Sweeney. And Dabo talks a lot about uh, when he became a GA at the University of Alabama, he was so excited to be a coach. Turns out as GA, your job is to get coffee for the other coaches. And uh, <laughs> instead of being mad about it, instead of being like, this is ridiculous. He decided he was going to be the best at serving coffee. And he knew how everybody wanted it, when they wanted it, what they wanted in it. And uh, he's like, I'm going to be the best coffee giver. And, yeah. uh, and I think. You look at his career past that, that's what he does. That's where his success is. He does everything perfect and uh, to the greatest that he can.
0: You know, and at the end of the day, it's, it's all about dominating your day. So great advice. Like no matter what role you are, dominate it and everything else will come together. And so, you know, Adam, as you embark on your career, you, you make stops with the Corpus Christi hooks, the Bowling Green hot rods, and then ultimately the Nashville sounds. And so thinking back to those experiences, what did those organizations provide that helped maintain top-level talent like yourself for so long?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, it, thinking back, Corpus Christi Hooks were the one that did it right out of all of those. And um, it was owned by Nolan Ryan. It was uh, Reed Ryan who ended up being president of the Astros. He was really the, the culture giver of that uh, program. And I got to be the seventh person on staff from the – very beginning started a year before the first season and 10 years later when I finally left all 10 of the first 10 employees that started there were all together so I broke up our family (laughs) um, and things kind of changed after that but uh, but it was an unbelievable part of a family atmosphere culture of family I think back at the big thing was it wasn't about making money uh, for them it was about people is about building relationships, is taking care of our staff, taking care of our sponsors, taking care of our fans, and uh, and when that's the purpose of what you're doing, uh, we really had a lot of success. and And I can't ever remember getting in trouble for not making enough money for the, the organization or or spending too much. It was yeah. really about the people. And then and uh, as interesting as I moved on to Bowling Green, uh went to work for a company called uh, Manhattan Sports Acquisition Fund. And we were a hundred million dollar fund trying to buy nine teams. And uh, it was all about making money. It had nothing to do with people. It had nothing to do with staff. Yeah. So it was a complete opposite approach, but it really challenged me to pay more attention to the money, but also uh, make sure that we created that culture that was there. And, um, and I came into that organization with, ton of uncertainty we that was the first team that we bought was in bowling green and and so it was going through an ownership change a lot of things were changing yeah. um, our staff was kind of uncertain not very happy in what their roles were but um but i had to kind of bring that brian approach and come in and really try to improve what they were doing and and um and then as the nashville sounds came along real similar situation uh, owned by new york city investor Uh, wanted to make money and again i could build on the stuff that i learned with bowling green and try to make sure that we incorporated the the real family approach and the the culture approach yeah and uh and we still were focused on making money and we made a lot more money with the nashville sounds than we did the hot rods but but all a great experience and things that that certainly as i look back at and certainly proud of
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, Adam, to that point your last MLB stop, you were with the Nashville sounds as a general manager and chief operating officer, and you really helped grow that franchise to be one of the most successful minor league teams in the country, not only just with the baseball, but with the entire venue and and holding nearly 180 events a year. As you think back to your time there, what are you most proud of when it comes to your time with the sounds?
1: Yeah, I, i Keep saying it, but it comes back to the people and the relationships that, that we had there. Unbelievable staff. We had about 75 full-time employees, and and I think we accomplished a lot. When we first got there, we had 70 baseball games plus a celebrity softball game and a Vanderbilt baseball game. And uh, and as you said, we ended up with 180 events. We made more money in non-baseball events than baseball. And we challenged our staff to, to be different and, uh, and push it. About 15 years prior, uh, somewhere with the hooks, I went to the baseball winter meetings. And I, my first year, I watched a team, and I wish I knew who it was, but they won the Bob Freitas Award, which was given to the best business operations in minor league baseball out of 160 teams. And it, it was through Baseball America, it wasn't um, anything you could go lobby for. And and uh, I was like, man, I one day I want to go speak and, and accept that award. Yeah. for the team that I'm running. And uh, about 15 years later, we won that award and uh, got to stand up in front of thousands of our our peers in minor league baseball and major league baseball and accept an award that, that I kind of had big aspirations of winning yeah. one day. And it was, it was pretty cool to have that kind of come full circle. And and, um, and we we won a lot of awards with the, the sounds and we ranked number one in a lot of categories from a revenue standpoint. And, um, all those things. We're pretty fun to kind of reach a pinnacle in minor league baseball.
0: And, you know, to your point, it, it starts and stops with people. If you didn't have the right people working together in parallel paths to, to make the best business operation. And, you know, you mentioned something there. If you really challenge your team, just think outside the box. And I think that's in this business. If you're just staying status quo, you're going to get passed. You've got to be willing to think outside the box and doing things a little bit differently. And just over a year ago, you decide to stay in market and you you make the move, you know, to join the Tennessee Titans and Nissan stadium
1: of the NFL. And why was that just the right opportunity for you? Yeah. A couple of things. One, um, probably the obvious part is I got to add zeros to a lot of the things that I was doing. So I had, I was putting on events for 7,000 people and now I could put it on for 70,000 people and um, things, ideas, decisions, we were making to make a hundred thousand dollars. Now we're making a million dollars on those, yeah. Seemingly same ideas. And so adding a zero certainly is enticing. Um, the other one is our CEO. He's about my age. He's a couple of years older than me, but he's 43 years old and he's um, unbelievable. I think he could be the next. I think he could be the NFL commissioner right now if he wanted to. It's unbelievable what he can do. And, and but I think surrounding myself with some some of the elite sports executives in the in the country. Kind of felt like it was time to, to step out and, and learn a little bit more. Right. More importantly, the interesting thing is um, when I was in Bowling Green with the Hot Rods, I was about 30, 31 years old, and I reached my biggest goal in life, which was to be a general manager of a baseball team. And I was like, I can't reach my goal at,
2: at <laughs> 30.
1: Like, yeah. I need a new goal. and uh, And I decided, I set my phone at 316 every day. And, uh, and my alarm goes off at awkward times, middle of meetings, but it's a reminder to say a prayer. And my prayer is, has been to be the CEO of the Titans. And, uh, and I don't That's know, awesome. it was more of a trigger to always dream big and not yeah. get comfortable as general manager of the baseball team.
3: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Adam News, Senior Vice President of Business Operations with the Tennessee Titans in Nissan Stadium. And so Adam, let's get into three hot topics. You know, question one, we've talked a lot about your minor league experience. What is one thing that the minor league teams do well that you believe most professional organizations should
1: implement? You know, the, uh, thing that pops to my mind right away is uh, winning isn't a business strategy. Like we don't, nobody ever cares if we win or lose and we have to do everything else really well. And, uh, and as soon as I got to the Titans, there's a lot of things that were like, well, that just helps when we're winning. When we're and winning. there's some decisions that I would throw out there and ideas that I had. And they're like, well, historically, we're <laughs> probably going to lose again at some point. And when we lose, we're going to lose all these fans. It's going to – I'm like, well, that can't be our strategy. Like, we've got to be great win or lose. And I think that's one of the things that minor league baseball is great about. I also think with the 140 games – back to being kind of smaller crowds. Um, there is something about innovation. Uh, we have to be innovative. We had to be innovative. And I think we could adapt quickly. Uh, try an idea if it didn't work. It wasn't Go that long. big of a deal. One of the big things on the NFL side, so and certainly if there's 70,000 people coming for an event, you make a decision, It uh, it affects a lot more people. And, and it's yeah. harder to... It's a big boat you're trying to steer, and uh, but I think inspiring some of these bigger companies to to be innovative, be proud to be innovative, okay. test some things, nothing feel like we could dig a dig ourselves out of whatever hole we we create on on trying to be innovative. And if there's that spirit of innovation, um, and then kind of the fear of failure, there's not much of a fear to fail in minor league baseball. Kind of known to. Right. Test a lot of things and try things. And and I think there's I've noticed in the year with the Titans that, that there's a sense of fear of failure. You don't want to be on ESPN for what's going to my idea. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and I, then the flip side, minor league baseball, now that I'm out of it and they they are pride themselves on being affordable. And I think they probably missed the boat a little bit on. It's a great product and yeah. it's a product people will pay for. And I think um, for so long, we switched with the sound. We started paying a charging a premium uh, because we were pretty proud of our product and we were trying to be a major league team in a major league market. And so we charged a premium and people paid it. And And I think minor league baseball as a whole, I think prides themselves too much on being affordable and they miss miss the boat on probably maximizing the opportunity that's there.
0: Yeah, have the value propositions there. And, and I love the advice on its right? It's control what you control, but you certainly be innovative in everything you do. And so question two, one of the many responsibilities you have in your current role is to bring in a lot of the ancillary events, such as concerts, wrestling, monster jam, just to name a few. As you think about the scope of the work, what's the biggest difference
1: from bringing events in versus
0: running an NFL game?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, uh, um, we just had a, a Def Leppard concert and, and Motley Crew and Poison and turns out my wife's a huge Poison fan, which we've been married 17 years and I never knew that she was a Poison fan. But, uh, but you learn something I new loved, every day. Yeah, it was great. But I love events. And one of the things that is different with events than than a football game is our fans come to one event and or these people will come to this one event. Usually we don't have a ton of repeat customers. Um, So we have tried a lot of different things, like, "Hey, let's add two dollars to the beer just for this concert," and we could try it. And if we pissed off thirty thousand people, we'd never see them again. So not coming back anyway. A little bit more innovative, like, "Hey, let's try it." Every one of them seems to work. We don't get a lot of complaints on my two-dollar beer increase, but uh, but I I think the relationships you build. too, we get to work with promoters from all over the country and and it it really uh, challenges our operational systems our pro- processes and uh and it's just a different every every event's different like yeah. the crowd doesn't know what to expect you kind of get comfortable with our football games we expect 90% of the fans to be repeat fans so they know how to get to their parking spot but these events really challenge you to, to really put yourself as a fan be like is it really yeah, self directing to get there. Like, can you really figure out how right. to get into the stadium clearly? And I think that um, events just challenge you in a different way. And I, I love events. I, I love the challenge. I love the uniqueness and, and the diversity that comes with it.
0: No, absolutely. And finally, question three, Adam, you've gone on to receive both your master's and your doctor of education. What's your advice to listeners on the continuous
1: education? Yeah. Um, so my degrees went from marketing to sports management to a doctorate in organizational leadership. So um, when they all pop up as like education, it seems bizarre and random that I got (laughs) educated, but the actual discipline was a little more self uh, or all kind of driven to, to where I've been. But um, I think one thing, you can't ever take your education away nobody can take it away from you. Um, But a big reason like I went and got my doctorate is uh, Bob Goff, who's an author, uh, talks a little bit about consulting with Bob plus ten, and so he would think through what does. So for me, Adam at forty-one years old, sometimes I have to be like, what does fifty-one-year-old Adam want? Like my kids are going to be, yeah. grown. Like it's going to be me and my wife. Like my life's going to just look different. So sometimes I got to consult with Adam, fifty-one-year-old Adam, and yeah. see what what he thinks about some of these ideas, but. Thinking back at when I got this doctorate, that's really what I did was, I was like, at some point, I think I was 35, so I was like, what's 45-year-old Adam going to yeah. one? And uh, and having a doctorate, uh, I really started looking at uh, Steve Underwood, who was the, the CEO of the Titans at the time, and he had a terminal degree. Vanderbilt's athletic director, Dr. Williams, had a terminal degree. And so I started thinking, these guys are – in their 70s, yeah. their jobs are going to come open at some point. What yep. What's going to impress Steve Underwood? True. And 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 so Steve actually ended up becoming the guy that uh, that was one of the first ones to ask to read my dissertation at the end. He was super impressed with it. And, and, uh, and do I know if that helped get me this job, if it's helped me get any jobs? I have no idea. But I think uh, something that I'm proud of, I yeah. was never a great student um but my kids will never know that they'll think and he got a doctorate he was a great student yeah exactly uh, and really anybody that ever hires me yeah so you know how smart my dad is yeah but they won't realize that i was probably not a great student but but i just kept signing up and and taking on bigger challenges
0: Yeah. So it's like, if they're listening to this podcast, just don't listen to that part of it. Um, Well, you've done a a great job of really, you know, in in addition to all your professional, you know, kind of career accolades and highlights, really immersing yourself in the community. And you even serve on the National Sports Council Board of Directors, the National Sports Authority Professional Sports Initiative, focused on the studies to, to bring WNBA, pro softball, pro volleyball to Nashville. You also serve on the Bowling Green Little League Board of Directors, serving as both the commissioner and coach. And, and I'm almost out of breath just reading everything that, that you're invested in. I don't know how much time you even have. You know, Adam, certainly a ton of great advice, fun to hear about your journey. And so now i us like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Ready. All right. If you had a boat, what would you name it?
1: Uh, so I'm going to steal it from my parents. They, they uh, started calling their their little pontoon boat, Blue Loha. And that's for Lucy, Lola, and Hank. So those are my three kids. Uh, Lou Loha, I think, is a super cool name. Yeah. Nothing else is coming out. Uh, keep going back to uh, Step Brothers. I can't think of what their boat was called. But, uh, but anything anything from Step Brothers is usually a pretty good answer. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought about
0: having the Pam Pan situation on this interview, but uh, decided against it. But what what's a fashion trend that you would love to see come
1: back? <laughs> Um, so my, my go-to outfit, if I was allowed to is a tank top, uh, kind of AC Slater tank top. style. <laughs> and, uh, there's been a couple situations when either my wife or my sister-in-law get into my closet and throw all my tank tops away and, uh, and I go buy some more and then they get thrown away, but they keep <laughs> telling me it's a terrible look. I think it's a great look. And eventually
0: it'll come back around. If you could go to dinner with anyone, who would it be?
1: Uh, So probably my cheesy answer would be that I'd take my wife with me anywhere. I think she is super cool and super fun and and probably some comfort in any conversations that I get into. But uh, the person I'd want to go to is Will Ferrell. I think he's got to be super fun. And I uh, actually... When my second child was born, my baby gift was a, a cowbell signed by Will Ferrell, uh, which is one of my prized possessions. But, uh, but I think the key to that dinner would be I'd, I'd have to stay out with them till like four in the morning and kind of oh, to see yeah. where that night goes. Yeah. And, uh, Everybody's like freaking old school. <laughs> right. Yep. I, for some reason, I think that it just, what could happen in that night would yeah. be unbelievable. And, I would uh,
0: love to be a waiter and then turn into a bodyguard or a fly on the wall to, to watch that. But uh yeah, you know, Adam, to, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Um,
1: so probably cheating and adding one, but uh, but I have a template in life and kind of a checklist in life and and uh it's called grit G-R-I-T. Yeah, it, it's kind of a checklist for me. Um any decision I make, anything that we do trying to make sure that it checks all four boxes. If it doesn't check all four boxes, it's not worth doing, but number one, G, good to great. I'd like to think a lot of the things that we do or I do are probably pretty good, but what could make it great and make sure that if, if that idea or that decision is going to make me good to good, what, what is that extra thing to take it to great? And then the next one is represent myself positively and, uh, and I think some of that goes back to the conversation earlier about giving back to the community, doing good things. Uh, but some of it's not posting on Instagram, me flipping off the, the world or whatever, you know, yeah. Yeah. Or, um, being crazy. And then uh, the other one's impressed with that unexpected service. I think there's a lot of times you hold a door for a lady, but could you actually go like, Grab her bags and take it to her car. I don't do that, but like I should be yep. trying to impress with those unexpected things, and then uh, teamwork. Kind of going back to, I want to think with sincerity. I want to um, speak honestly, and I want to act with integrity. And uh, and I think if whatever you're doing kind of fits those four boxes, good things happen. It's hard to yep. hard to waver if you start uh, checking those boxes it's got to be a good thing. So those yeah. are my four things. Follow the grit, have some grit yeah. in life and, and do some good things.
0: I love it. You know, we, we kicked off the con- you know, the, the podcast here, Adam, we're talking about the grind and you certainly have shown your grit and you know what a great career you've had. It's a pleasure talking to you. And I appreciate
1: your time and your expertise today. Well, I appreciate you and uh, I'll continue to listen on my runs and, and I appreciate you getting me through them.
0: All right. I I appreciate that. This is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Please be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week.